And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There are so many different fruits out there that, uh, that it became rather obvious to many people over the last couple years because of my dislike of bananas. It became very obvious that when we're talking about joy and things don't always go our way, I needed to talk and needed to let you have some bananas. I want to get them out of the way in this Fruit of the Spirit series because I didn't want you guys thinking that I was holding out on you because I don't like them. But I don't like bananas at all even though they have incredible nutritional value. Such nutritional value that bananas can lower your blood pressure. And right now I should probably eat one because I don't like them that much, but I won't do that. Because they can lower your blood pressure, they can help your heart. The potassium of bananas helps your bones get stronger and it also prevents cramping from what I understand. Potatoes also have potassium in them, so french fries will help take care of cramping as well. And bananas provide a healthy amount of, of vitamin B6 to strengthen your brain. That all being said, I still don't like bananas. And when it comes to experiencing joy, there are times in our lives when things aren't going our way, and yet we can still experience joy. And for those of you that are defenders of the banana you will find our first fun fruit fact rather enlightening for you, and it will help you get even stronger in your defense of bananas. Some horticulturists suspect that the banana was the earth's first fruit. I don't agree with that. I was there when it happened, and bananas were not the first fruit. Another fruit fact that you might find a bit interesting is this, is that pineapples are berries just like strawberries. I did not know that. I have no idea how that works, but, but uh, it's on the internet, and the internet's always right and true, and so there you have it. And then last one is this. A cucumber is a fruit, not a vegetable. Uh, it's something, I, uh, frankly, I don't really care about cucumbers either. Uh, I think they're one of the most bland, I was going to say vegetables, but they're a fruit, one of the most bland fruit out there. But unlike cucumbers, there are plenty of reasons to get excited about joy. Joy provides the ability to not lose hope when things look bleak. Joy is unafraid what what happens in life because there is a reminder that as a Christ follower, we are never alone. Joy is able to be glad for others when they receive good news. And joy is a powerful testimony to people when they know you are experiencing rough waters and yet refuse to give up. As you take your time to look through Scripture, there is something that pops up about joy that is undeniable, and is this, it is, a, it is a choice that people make. Some people's situations were extremely difficult, yet they made a decision to choose joy. The letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that's considered the most joy-filled letter of all that he wrote was composed while sitting in a prison cell. It's a letter to the Philippians. James, Jesus' brother, tells Christ's followers the following, to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
The Apostle Peter informs us that because of all that we've received because of God's grace, that we then should greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. To choose joy doesn't mean that everything is all of a sudden going to become copacetic and honky-dory and wonderful and all rainbows and, and, and wonderful experiences. But to choose joy means that we understand where our God is in the midst of it. That he will not let go of us. That he is walking with us through it. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses and, and we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning looking at this entire book. And in Habakkuk chapter 3, looking at verse 17, he writes these words. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word we would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we would see. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our minds that we may understand. And open our hearts that we would truly experience joy. The joy that comes from you. A joy that can withstand the storms of life. A joy that can take us to incredible peace when we desperately need it. And Lord, I know this to be true, that in this room right now, there are plenty of people that need joy because life is coming at them fast and hard. So Lord Jesus, I pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but through the power of your Holy Spirit that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear. And that you, Lord Jesus would be lifted up, that you'd be glorified, and that your kingdom would continue to advance. We love you, and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Habakkuk falls into the category of what uh, many people call, well, not many people, but uh, people that study the Bible would call the minor prophets. And sometimes when we, when we hear this phrase or this, this verbiage of minor prophets, we sit there and we, we want to simply sort of throw them off to the side and say they're a minor prophet, they don't have much to say. But the thing about, thing about not only about Habakkuk, but any of the other minor prophets is this, is that they're only minor because their books are shorter and their focus is incredibly, incredibly intense. So we're talking about a minor prophet here that had a major impact, not just when he penned these words six centuries before Jesus Christ came, but because of the impact that it would have way down the road. An interesting fact about Habakkuk's name is this, is that his name means a plant or fruit tree. I found that rather convenient as we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And as Habakkuk is putting together his, his prophecy as God is revealing this to him and Habakkuk and God are going back and forth, they are, ex they are experiencing extremely rough days for God's people. Idolatry is rampant. 
God's people continue to make decisions that lead them further and further into into destruction. And the very God who rescued his people from the oppressive hands of the Egyptians miraculously rescued them over the course of their history from battles that they should not have won. The very God that they have, that, that did that for them over and over again, that rescued them, that redeemed them over and over again, has now become an afterthought for all of God's people. It's into that situation that Habakkuk writes these words writes these words into a very, very rough time for God's people. And what additionally made it more difficult was the leadership of Judah at that time was horrific. was horrific. You look through the kings of Judah, you look through the kings of, of Israel, you will find this to be true that many of them did not have God's best interest in mind. And so Habakkuk speaks into that. And and if you have your Bibles open to Habakkuk, I invite you to turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. Look at verse 4. Because it's this verse, this verse that made a profound impact, not only in Habakkuk's life, but in a couple significant figures later on. Listen to these words. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But notice the next phrase. But the righteous person will live by faith. The few words at the end of verse 4 would later impact the Apostle Paul in such a way as he's writing Galatians and, and Romans that he made reference to it. This one verse is referred to a few times in, in Paul's life and it, it impacted him significantly. But it wasn't only a monumental truth for Paul that, that, that sunk deep into his soul. But it was a monumental truth that about 1,500 years later would sink into the soul of another young man. This man was born in 1484, and by the time he was 21 years of age, he had already received his master's degree. The next stop for this man was becoming a lawyer. His parents were ecstatic for him. His professors, every single time that he was in in their class, his professors stood almost in awe of how quickly he grabbed the concepts, how quickly he could adapt the concepts. And, And not only could he implement the concept they were talking about, but he could improve them as he applied them. No one doubted, no one doubted that this young man would make an impact in this world. But the interesting thing is this, is that this young man, who many people thought would be an incredible lawyer and would make a change and make a difference for this world by being a lawyer, little did they know that he would make a change, make an impact that would be earth-shattering in its consequences. As this young man was making his way down a road and on July 2nd, 1505, he was overtaken by a vicious thunderstorm. Lightning crackling all around him, thunderer booming so much so that the earth shook, wind so fierce that it was difficult to stand still. And in the middle of this storm, this young man cried out and said this, I will become a monk. The course of his life was forever changed in the midst of that storm. 
The same tenacity that led him to get his master's degree by the time he was 21, the same tenacity that led him to become this, what, what many people believed to be, would eventually become this incredible lawyer that many people thought he would become, this same young man said, I'll become a monk. And with that same tenacity, he pursued the course studies necessary to become a monk. But as he continued his studies, as he continued trying and and trying and trying to earn God's favor, he would go to bed at night yearning for that peace, yearning to know that he was going to be okay, yearning to know that all that he had done was good enough to earn God's favor, yet every single day he awakened wondering what more he could do to have God's favor. And then one night, he was in his room, and he read Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, which says this, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. These words that Paul penned to the Galatians centuries prior, which were the words that Habakkuk wrote to the people centuries prior to that, these words leaped off the page, leapt off the page and hit this young monk squarely in the heart. And it was at that point when this monk realized the only way to gain God's favor isn't through me working harder. The only way is by placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This young monk's name is Martin Luther. And because of that verse, because of Hebrew, uh, because of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and yes, there were multiple other verses, but this verse became one of the springboards that launched the Protestant Reformation. People thought he would make a difference as a lawyer, but God had other plans. And when God grabs hold of a person's life, Yes, difficulties are going to come, and yes, difficulties will always be there. But when God grabs hold of a person's life, there's joy. There's joy in moving forward. And Habakkuk's book helps us see that very clearly. Now Habakkuk goes about dealing with this concept, not just the concept of joy, but the reality of joy in a rather circuitous way. He doesn't simply say, have joy, get over your situation, and have joy. He lays this out, and so we pick it up in Habakkuk chapter 1, where Habakkuk does what many of us do all the time, and that's this. We complain. The prophecies that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Yahweh, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or I cry out to you violence, but you do not say. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate in, why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds, abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. We complain. When we complain, it sucks joy out of our lives. 
And this complaint that, that Habakkuk makes is, is a complaint that many of us, if not all of us, have asked of God before, and it's this. Are you there? Habakkuk seeing everything that's going on around him, and he says, this is out of control. I continue to cry out to you, yet there is no change. There is no response. Where are you? You've been there. I've been there. I've lost count how many times I wonder if God understands what's going on in my life. The times I was bullied when I was in junior high and high school. The times that I had my heart broken by someone that I cared deeply about. The times that Don and I have experienced more than two or three miscarriages. The times when I would talk to one of my daughters about a painful situation they were experiencing in life and there was no easy remedy, I would cry out to God saying, Lord, do something, and the situation did not seem to change. The times in serving as a pastor when people decided to inform me that I was completely out of my mind or don't, it didn't have a clue about life at all. All of us have had those times when we cry out to God and say, Are you there? Right now, some of you in this room are having that question right now. You're crying out to God saying, Lord, where are you? Are you there? Are you aware of what's going on in my life? And it seems that your prayers are only bouncing off the walls, and yet I'm here to tell you that He is there. That He is there, that He will not let you down. Because look at the response that the Lord gives to Habakkuk. Verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Perhaps there are things going on that God's saying to you right now, I could tell you what I'm going to do, but you wouldn't believe it. And he continues on, he says this, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They, they all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past them like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Habakkuk cries out saying, aren't you going to do something about it? And God's response is, I can handle this. I got this. He responds, and it's a response that takes him by surprise. It's a response that takes Habakkuk so by surprise that it, that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't sit well with him. The Lord can handle it. But Lord, don't you see what's happening? Don't you see what's happening? And perhaps right now you're saying, don't you see what's happening? We have issues of violence. 
As of today, in our wonderful city of Salinas, there have been 12 murders this year. Since 2015, there have been 117 murders in this city, with almost 50 of those individuals being under the age of 25. Abuse. A report of child abuse is made every 10 seconds. There are close to 7 million children suffering from abuse or neglect every single year. And abuse doesn't only affect children. More than 12 million women and men are victims of physical or psychological abuse by someone they know. Human trafficking. Human trafficking is a $32 billion a year industry. It's prevalent, it's, 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 it's prevalent in all 50 states. And it is believed within the next few years that it will surpass the illegal sale of drugs in this country. Worldwide, there are 21 million victims. Where are you, God? Are you there? Oppression. We're reminded every single day about various people groups in this world who struggle under the harsh rule of of various leaders. And according to a group who monitors the prevalence of persecution in the world, it's an organization called Open Doors, more Christ followers today are being persecuted than at any other time in history. We could continue on with this list. We could go on and on and on, and we could say, are you there, are you there? And God will respond, and God will respond, and he will say, I am with you. I got this. Verse 5, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. God says, look around. It looks like I'm not there, but I want you to know I've got this. I know about the violence. I know about the abuse. I know about the oppression. I know about the human trafficking. I know about all these different things that are going on in this world, but I want you to know I got this. I won't let you go. So Habakkuk hears this response from God, and, and you would think that Habakkuk would say, okay, I'm good. But Habakkuk, just like you and me, doesn't like the response at all that God gives. So it leads us to complaint number two, and complaint number two is a cry that all of us have all the time, at various times in our life, and it's a complaint that says, that's not fair. Listen to what Habakkuk says in verse 12. He says, Yahweh, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Yahweh, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. What Habakkuk does here is saying, Lord, I want you to know you're pretty holy. You're the holiest of holy. But yet this game plan that you're coming up with, doesn't make much sense. Look what he says in verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate, you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk is looking at God and saying, I don't like the way you're going to fix this problem. It's not fair at all. And an interesting thing when it comes to us talking about fairness 
is this, is that we oftentimes forget that our sinfulness is usually the reason why we're in the predicament that we're in at times. God's people had decided that they're not going to follow after God very much. They have incredibly difficult situations going on before them. And now Habakkuk lays that out before God. God says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And the Babylonians had a reputation of being a ruthless, violent people. And Habakkuk says, and he says it in verse, in verse 13, he says, Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He's saying, listen, I admit we're, wrong, we're messed up. But yet you're going to use a people that's even more messed up than us. Here's what's interesting. We love to compare our sinfulness to other people's sinfulness all the time. We look at this other person and we say, well, I'm bad, but I'm not nearly as bad as this guy. They're really messed up. But the reality is this, when you're talking to a holy God, when you're talking to a God who cannot allow, and, and, and again, Habakkuk points to this, he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. When you're interacting with that type of a holy God, no matter what the sin is, it's still sin. It's still brokenness. And in the midst of those times when God says, this is the way I'm going to handle this situation, Oftentimes, we need to remember this, that God's discipline does not seem fair at the time. I don't see many people raising their hands saying, hey, could I please be disciplined more? Well, you're different. Um, but, But the point is, when God goes to discipline us, it means we're going to have to maneuver, we're going to have to make changes in our lives. And we don't enjoy that. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair at all. And so God responds to Habakkuk's second complaint. We pick it up in chapter 2, verse 2. He says this, Then Yahweh replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks to the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant, never at rest. But he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and take captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. And God continues on and he says, I know who the Babylonians are, Habakkuk. I know who they are. I know they're a bad people. But I want you to understand that I have the long view in mind. The Babylonians will be just like every other people group that has risen to power. Their time will come to an end. The last verse of chapter 2 says this, Yahweh is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The complaint, God, are you there, is met with, I can handle this. The complaint, this isn't fair. God's response is, 
I have the long view in mind. And the reality is this, is that all the earth will be silent before him. You and I have a short view of history. You and I don't see the long view. But God sees all of history before him. He sees past, present, and future all at one time. And he knows this to be true. That when all is said and done, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, it's not going to be easy at times. Yes, it's going to be difficult at times. But yet, God wins. And he's already won. So Habakkuk lays out these complaints, and I, want, and I didn't say this earlier. It's okay to go to God with your complaints. God can handle it. So often we sit there and think, well, I don't know if I can talk to God about this. He already knows about it anyway. Just have a dialogue with him. Whatever's going on in your life right now, God says, let's talk about it. Let's interact about it right now. And so Habakkuk, there's something that happens after chapter 2, and there's this incredible shift that happens. And, and I believe that this shift happens because Habakkuk now understands that God's really there. Look at what happens in Habakkuk chapter 3, starting at verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Yahweh, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Yahweh. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk goes to God with all of these complaints, and now all of a sudden, chapter 3, there is this radical shift in tone. And I believe this, the reason why he does that, is, is, is it, it is not because Habakkuk's situation changed. It's because Habakkuk makes a choice and he realizes the choice is his. And the choice is to choose joy. God's people were still in trouble. The enemy was still closing in. God's people were constantly making all these costly, costly decisions that were, that were detrimental to them. And in the midst of this, Habakkuk realizes to rejoice is a choice. God wasn't going to remove Habakkuk from the situation. God kept Habakkuk in that situation. And in the process, we oftentimes want to say, Lord, get me out of here. And God says, I need you to stay. I need you to stick it out. I need you to hang in there. Because in the midst of what you're going through, I will give you joy. To rejoice is a choice. And Habakkuk chooses to rejoice. Habakkuk chooses to remember who the Lord is. I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. The same Lord who fashioned all of creation, who was always good, always true, always powerful, has not changed. Perhaps in your life right now, as you're going through what you're experiencing, perhaps right now one of the things that you need to do is to remember who the Lord is. These aren't some opinions that are put down. This is God saying, this is who I am. I am good. I am righteous. I am holy. I am loving. I am gracious. I am compassionate. 
And then Habakkuk does this. From verses 3 to 15, he, he goes and he recalls these great acts of the Lord in the past. He says this in verse 4. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his head where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. Verse 8, were you angry with the rivers, Yahweh? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your, and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roar roared and lifted its waves on high. Habakkuk is going back to the Exodus experience saying, God, that same God that brought people through the Exodus, that same God is still with me right now, and he's still with God's people today. Verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He remembers back to those times. He recalls these incredible events from the Lord's past. And in the midst of what you're going through right now, perhaps God is saying to you right now, remember what I've done in your past. That time that you experienced forgiveness of your sin. That time that I gave you peace in the midst of a storm in your life. That time where I provided an answer to a prayer that you had been praying for years. That time when there was no doubt that I was the only one right there with you when no one else was. We remember, we recall, and then we rejoice. No matter the situation. Verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. What an incredibly appropriate passage for where we live. We're surrounded by fields that produce all types of vegetation and and wonder and awe. But even if all of that were to go belly up, and that's what Habakkuk is saying here, The olive crop fails, the fields produce no food. Yet, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy says, whatever your circumstances are, my God is still there. My God still cares. Joy can handle whatever situation you're in. Joy can look at that situation and say, I'm not far off, I'm right there in the midst of it. And how do we know he understands? How do we know that he will give us joy? We know this and we can rejoice because Jesus Christ himself chose joy. I invite you to listen to these words from the book of Hebrews, and they'll be on the screen here momentarily. Listen to what the writer says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, 
for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross was before him. He had every opportunity to say, I'm not going to go that way. He could have turned at the Mount of Olives and, and fled into the desert, never to be heard from again. But the cross was before him, and he considered it joy to endure the cross. He considered it joy to die the most hideous death known to humanity. He considered it joy to endure to the very end and not quit. He considered it joy to experience all that humanity, the world, and the devil could throw at him, yet not sin. He considered it joy to endure the cross because he knew that on the other side, humanity would now have a Savior that could rescue them no matter how dire their situation would be. He considered it joy because he knew this, that without the crucifixion, there is no resurrection. He had the long view in mind, and he knew that joy would carry us through. That's the God we have. That's the one who understands whatever comes our way. He considered it joy as he stood before the cross and as he hung on the cross. He understands what's going on in your life right now. He understands what's going on in my life right now. And because of that, we can remember, we can recall, and we can rejoice that He won't let us down. My prayer for all of us is this, is that we would experience joy in the midst of all that's going on around us, in the midst of all that's happening in our lives, because He is with us. Father, we pray. As we consider these words, you know our situation full well. And we ask that we would respond to you. That we would choose to turn to you. And that the joy that you experienced as you endured the cross, is something, Lord, I confess, I do not understand very well at all. But you endured the cross so that no matter what happens in our lives, you're there with us. I pray for those in this room right now who are going through life that's sucking the joy right out of them. I pray, Lord, that you would, in the stillness of this time, speak to them and remind them, and perhaps for the very first time, they could respond to you and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, we thank you that you never give up on us. We thank you that you pursue us. We thank you that you continue coming after us in the midst of all that happens in our lives. It's my prayer that the joy that you give 
that you give freely would be experienced in all of our lives, no matter the situation, and that we can have joy because you are with us. Holy Spirit, do your work. Minister in the midst of our deep hurt, our deep pain, our deep confusion, and perhaps even our deep doubt. Do your work, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a couple more songs. I invite you to to stand and sing out as we uh, remember how great this God is, how incredibly powerful his joy is. And so may we stand and sing with great, uh, with great enthusiasm.